For as long as we have lived For as long as we have known Love has carried us You're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Genesis West in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. You can find out more about us at genesiscove.org. Enjoy the teaching. Good morning, everybody. Uh, as you are able, I invite you to stand for the reading of the gospel this morning. Today's scripture reading is from Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 3 and 11 through 32. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, so no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how, of, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough to spare, but here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then, he, then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came back who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Um, I'd like to pray before we get started this morning. Dear God, thank you for the opportunity to explore your scripture together. I ask that this morning you'd give us open minds and open hearts um, as we learn from you and from each other. Amen. 
All right, show of hands, how many people were familiar with the story of the prodigal son before just now? Pretty much everybody, or else you just don't like to raise your hand. <laughs> Parables are stories, like fables. They're fictional tales meant to convey a message, like the fable of the tortoise and the hare. Everybody know that one? All right, so we're going to do like an all-play warm-up this morning. What is the message of the fable of the tortoise and the hare? Slow and steady wins the race. Anybody have anything else? Pride comes before the fall, right? The, the hare was kind of prideful about his abilities. Um, don't underestimate your opponent. Like, there's a few messages you can take away from that. So I'm going to just do a real quick recap of what Charlie read for us. Um, the characters are there's a father, an older son, and a younger son. The younger son comes to the father and says, give me my inheritance now. The father does it. The son takes off, spends it in some unwise ways. He finds himself destitute, desperate, and decides the thing to do, maybe the only thing to do, is to return home, beg his father to take him back as one of his servants. And when he goes back, the father not only takes him back, he welcomes him with open arms, throws a big party for him, and the older son, hearing this, is not happy. He's angry about the party, that he's never gotten a party like that, and he refuses to be a part of it. So, another all play. What is the message of the prodigal son? What's the, what's the takeaway? What are some words, some, some things that come stand out to you on that? Forgiveness? Yep. Grace, humility, definitely. Um, the message that I've always understood about this parable is basically what you guys are talking about, that the father represents God, that I'm the younger son or anyone who has maybe gone astray. And the message is that even when I'm a selfish, dirty, rotten scoundrel, God will forgive me and welcome me back with open arms. I think this message is absolutely true. Um, I'm grateful for it, but I don't think that's the complete message of this parable. I think that's one of the messages of this parable, and I think there's more. If we look at the lectionary text, it says, Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them, so he told them this parable. And then it launches into the parable of the prodigal son. That's what the lectionary text says. That's not actually what the Bible says. Anybody else bothered by that? It took me a minute to, because you got to watch the numbers, but I was like, wait a minute. Um, it bothers me primarily because it says this, he told them this parable, but he didn't actually tell them this parable. He told them two other parables first. Uh, first, he told the parable of the lost sheep. So there's the shepherd. He has 99 of his sheep. One of them's missing, and he leaves the 99 to go find that one. Then he tells the parable of the woman with 10 coins, and she's missing one of them, and she turns the whole house upside down until she can find that one. And then Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son. To be fair, I think all of these parables are related 
but I did want to reinsert what was omitted before going forward. All these parables were included in Jesus' message to the religious folks, the Pharisees, and they were all in response to their grumbling about Jesus hanging out with sinners. In Luke 15:1, it says the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to him. And there's a few things that are interesting here for me. Um, first of all, in my Bible, which is an NIV, and maybe it's just my particular one, but the word sinners is in quotes. So it actually says the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to him. Um, I don't know if Luke had that in the original manuscript or what. But also the phrase coming near or drawing near uh, really stands out to me. So the people who the religious elite have decided are sinners, they're the ones who are drawing near to Jesus. And meanwhile, the Pharisees are spending their time concerned about who Jesus is hanging out with. So Jesus tells them the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. And here's an all play. How do you see these three parables as related? What connections do you see? Finding what's lost, something's lost, then it's found. Um, Yeah, so there's a message between what wasn't lost, the things that were there, the 99 sheep. Maybe there's a message for the nine coins, I don't know. Um, and the son who never left home. Wholeness. Yep, yep. So that one missing piece really matters. Yep. Um, in each case, there is absolute rejoicing, and we don't see this because we didn't actually read the, the 99 sheep and the and the coins, but um, when the one sheep is found, when the one coin is found, there is celebration and rejoicing, and then there's a party with the sun. So in every case, it's absolute joy and rejoicing over what's returned. And, and this kind of gets to the wholeness that in every case, what is missing is of real value. So it's not oh, well, I still have 99, that one that's missing is very valuable. Um, the sheep wandered off. They, they, the one sheep wandered off. Probably not with malice aforethought, though, right? He's like just a sheep, and he wandered off. The coin had nothing to do with getting itself misplaced. Um, and the son, as we read, said, like, give me my money, I'm out of here. But none of those varying circumstances changed how much they were wanted back, how precious they were, and none of it changed the response upon their return. What I see in this is that whether we are sinners or not, whether we are like sheep or coins or sons or daughters, that we are of incredible value to God. That in God's eyes, we're worth turning the house upside down worth searching the open countryside, worth infuriating the religious leaders, worth throwing a big old brazier to celebrate. 
In these parables, we see God as the shepherd who goes out to find the sheep, the woman who's diligently searching for the coin, and the father who's ready to welcome him home. And the sheep, the coin, and the son, they are all the lost sinners, whether or not you want to put quotes around that. But what about the older brother? I'll play. Who does the older brother represent? Pharisees, people who are with Christ, people who are in, represents us. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes it can. We're what? We are believers, right? People who are in a position to comment on the people getting in. Yep. Um, I think the older brother represents people who refuse to throw open the doors and welcome everyone to the party. Because think of who might come if we did that. There might be people we don't agree with. There might be people who are different than us. We might infuriate the religious leaders or the people who call themselves Christians. Or maybe we could end up looking like Jesus. The Pharisees are struggling with the question, how can you invite those people in? And depending on your background and experience, there can be a really wide range of who those people are. Can't you see they aren't dressed right for Sunday school? Like, seriously, that's a thing. Can't you see they didn't say the right prayer? They don't believe the right things. Maybe they believe the wrong things. Or even worse, maybe they don't believe at all. Don't you know what they did, or where they've been, or who they love? Here's something that stands out to me about the older brother. He was a member of his father's house. Like somebody mentioned, he was the one who never left home. He was there spending time with his father, maybe hopefully being influenced by him. And the father's heart is one of love and acceptance and compassion. But despite the fact that the older brother never left home, that he was in his father's presence and a representative of his father's household, he didn't have his father's heart. He didn't welcome his younger brother with love or acceptance or compassion. Instead, he tried to turn him away in anger, and he rejected him. I think part of why Jesus is telling this parable to the Pharisees is because they, as religious leaders, were part of God's house. They were people who were supposed to be representatives of the God they served. They should have had the heart of the Father. And instead, they, like the older brother, are saying, how can you associate with these people? What, do you just let anyone in? It actually makes me think of Mark 10. Um, and this is where people are bringing their children to Jesus. They want Jesus to bless their children, to be touched by him. And in this instance, it's actually the disciples who turn the children away. And at this point, it's later in Jesus' ministry, he's 
kind of slowly making his way towards Jerusalem and towards his death, and that disciples have been living with him, learning with him, praying with him for years at this point. And yet, people are bringing in their children, and here are the disciples, and they're going, stop. No. You can't come in. Your kind doesn't belong here. Most translations say in response to this that Jesus was displeased or indignant. Uh, But when you look at the actual root of the Greek word that is used, it's more closely related to grief. Jesus has poured into the disciples. Um, He has spent a lot of time with him. They have seen so much with him. And here they are trying to turn people away, and it's grieving his heart. He says, don't hinder them. Don't stop them from coming to me. And then Jesus takes the children into his arms, and he blesses them. Now, it's so easy to say, like, ah, disciples. But maybe they had a schedule to keep. Maybe Jesus was worn out, and they were trying to protect him. Maybe all the kids were, like, yelling and screaming, and James had a migraine. I mean, you just, you don't know. (laughs) We have to remember they were human. So we can dismiss the disciples as dumb, the Pharisees as wicked, and the older brother is a jealous fool. Or it can be an opportunity for us to assess the attitudes and the thoughts that we have. I'm not saying we're always like the older brother. I'm saying sometimes we're like the older brother. Sometimes we're like the father, compassionate, loving, welcoming. Sometimes we're the younger brother. We're the one who needs to return, the one in need of mercy and grace. And the season of Lent is an opportunity to sit before God and ask the questions. God, when am I like the father? Where am I like the older brother? There's somewhere in my life where I need to turn or return. It's, it's reflection not for the purpose of shame or to beat ourselves up, but for the chance to invite God into more of our lives and for the chance to grow. God, help me be more like the Father. The, another one of the lectionary texts that they actually read during worship is from 2 Corinthians 5. And there's a part that says, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. This sounds like the father in the, in the prodigal son parable, right? He didn't count the younger son's trespasses against him and he was eager to reconcile with him. And then it goes on to say, so we are ambassadors for Christ. All of us, we are ambassadors for Christ. That's a big job, right? How do we do that? We do that by emulating the life of Jesus. Jesus showed us Christ, showed us how we as humans can be like Christ how we can be more like the Father. And what I see is the key to growth here, 
to living as an ambassador for Christ, to being more like Jesus, is a heart of humility. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. In John's gospel, over and over again, Jesus keeps saying, it's not me, it's God. It's not me, it's God. Everything I have comes from God. An ongoing attitude of submission and dependence. Jesus looked at himself as the humble, deferential servant of men so that God's work of love could be accomplished through him. In Matthew 18, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. In Matthew 25, Jesus said, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you like that? When did we see you hungry, thirsty, as a stranger? And the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Andrew Murray said, It is our relation to one another and our treatment of one another that the true lowliness of mind and the heart of humility are to be seen. Our humility before God has no value, but only as it prepares us to reveal the humility of Jesus to our fellow men. Now, people have debated and will continue to debate, to debate who are these brothers and sisters exactly? Who are the children of God? Who is the stranger? Basically, who do I have to include? Look at Luke 10. Uh, an attorney came along and wanted to make sure he was doing all the right stuff. Jesus, what exactly do I need to do to get this right? And Jesus, the consummate rabbi, asked him a question in return. Well, what do you think? And the attorney says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus goes right on. This is the Deva version. And then the guy says, okay, well, hold up, though. Who exactly is my neighbor? I mean, this isn't a new question. Who do I have to love? And in answer to that, Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. And at the end of that, turns the question back to the attorney and says, all right, you tell me, who's the neighbor? And the man answered, the neighbor was the one who showed him mercy. God has been working and continues to work on my heart in this area. Slowly, gently, persistently, 
God's been allowing me to see where I've been like the Pharisees, judging who's in and who's out. Where I've been like the disciples, turning away the children of God. Where I've walked by people who are hurting on the side of the road because it's too scary or too messy to get involved. Where I've been like the older brother, being stingy with mercy that was never even mine to give. God, help me to be more like the Father. And the way we do this, the way we live this out, is humility. Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. Humble people don't think they know everything. They don't think they have it all figured out. They don't think they're better than anyone else. Humble people are grace-filled people. Imagine how differently the older brother would have reacted if he had a heart of humility. If his attitude had been one of, who am I to judge? I'm certainly not perfect, and how awesome is it that my little brother's home? He would have run into that party with like arms open, ready to give him a hug. Jesus did not say, come, you who saw that I had it all together, you who saw that I didn't need anything from you, you who saw that I agreed with all of your beliefs and then you invited me in, you who only welcomed those of your own tribe, you who looked like you and acted like you, you who only welcomed those who embraced your religious dogma, come receive your blessing. That sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Hard to say. And yet, that's so often what the church has done, how religious people throughout the ages have behaved. So who is my neighbor? Who is the stranger? Who is a child of God? Based on what I see in the life of Jesus, it is everyone we meet. In his new book, The Universal Christ, Richard Rohr says the only people that Jesus seemed to exclude were precisely those who refused to know they were ordinary sinners like everyone else, meaning they weren't humble. He goes on to say the only thing he excluded was exclusion itself. Actually, most of the time that Jesus pulls out the woe to you language is in response to someone being excluded. Friends, Jesus was clear. We are to welcome the stranger. We are to welcome the other. We are to welcome the sinner. We are to welcome our brothers and sisters, which is actually sometimes harder than welcoming the stranger. We are to be humble like little children, and we are to welcome all the children of God. And in doing so, we are welcoming Christ.